you know, my personal life got put on a Summer Jam screen. You know what I mean? I remember when that news broke, I had three different brand deals. All three of those brands pulled out on me. When you take a man's ability to like provide and feed himself, like you're killing a man. And to feel like that could be snatched away from you is a really heavy feeling. So those were the, the things that I was kind of thinking about in terms of my career and if I was gonna be able to continue to move forward. Welcome to the After You Fail podcast, where we know three things. Failure is inevitable. Failure does not make you a weak or bad person. And the way you respond to failure can change your life. I'm your host, Mikel C. Clark. And my question to you is, what happens after you fail? The answer is entirely up to you. Have you ever experienced betrayal and humiliation when the stakes were high? How would you react if your embarrassing moment went viral on a global scale? Today's guest, Everett Taylor, who is now the CEO of Kickstarter, knows firsthand what it's like to be exposed to the dark side of social media. In 2020, he was the chief marketing officer at Artsy, the largest online marketplace for buying and selling fine art. That year, a story broke in which an individual claimed that she was pregnant and Everett was the father. This individual already had a documented history of manipulating media narratives, lying about the nature of past romantic partnerships, and making up scandals to sell books. But the story still spread like wildfire. There are no fact checkers that can move faster than the court of public opinion. In the days that followed, Everett received a flood of derogatory messages, insensitive jokes, and intrusive questions that overwhelmed him to the point that he had no choice but to fully retreat from the public eye for quite some time. Today, I'll be speaking with Everett about how he healed from this violation of privacy and learned to navigate the world differently as a highly visible person in the wake of this incident. To start our conversation, Everett shared with me where he was mentally at the time of the incident. I've been living in LA for the past five years. I had just moved to New York, had like moved to New York. I had been in New York for a month. And I took my dream job at the time to be CMO of Artsy. It's the biggest online art company in the world. I love art and I felt finally like I was in this position of where I combined what I was really good at with my passion. And that was like such a, you saw how, how happy I was mm -hmm. about the artsy thing. And so that was like a really just kind of amazing space um, and opportunity to have in my life. And when I was in LA, what was interesting is, uh, you know, I had this group of friends, like boys, homeboys that I really appreciated, I really loved. Um, but there was a situation that happened where like I had to distance myself from that crew. And when all of this broke, I hadn't had time to really build relationships in New York. And so really I was very much alone in this moment. You know, I was already hurt because I had to kind of push myself away from these group of people and these really, really amazing guys. It was just a misunderstanding. And then on top of that, I'm in New York. 
I've been working. I just got back from Europe and all of these things. And over the course of those few weeks, my mental health was deteriorating because this particular person was really doing everything that they possibly could to bring me down, tear me down, make me get to a very low space. And that's what this person is capable of doing. And so when this news broke, I was already in a very sensitive place because one, I'm new to a city. You know, I don't have like a circle of trust around me. I just left LA. I already had this person really beaten down on me from a mental health perspective while trying to maintain the pressure of this new gig, being a black CMO at a big company. So all of these things were kind of coming at the same at the same time. I didn't really feel like I really had that tribe that I needed here in New York at that time. For sure. And so you're dealing with all these complexities, all this this messiness, all this transition. And at the same time, you are still the CMO at Artsy. Yeah. How did this situation affect you professionally? You know, it was interesting because one, I had to take time away, you know, from my own mental health. And also with everything happening so publicly, I had to like take a step back. And I wasn't in the right place. Like if I tried to work and push through that, I wouldn't have been in the right place. And, you know, my personal life got put on a summer jam screen. You know what I mean? My personal life was just out there. That was a very uncomfortable situation. And I would see people saying things, black people saying things like, oh, he's done, he's finished. You know, his career is done. And I'm so appreciative of the CEO at that time and the leadership team at that time. They had my back the entire time. They supported me 110%. And I knew that as long as they had my back, I was gonna be good. I wasn't sure at first, mm -hmm. but over time I realized that they did have my back. The second thing was, I remember when that news broke, I had three different brand deals. We both do influencer marketing deals. All three of those brands pulled out on me. All three, you know what I mean? And then not only was I worried about my job at the time, because I didn't, I didn't know that my job was good, but I also was like, wow, all of these opportunities just pulled out on me. And that was a very scary moment, you know? And, uh, you know, Chappelle, the comedian, said something to the, I'm not going to quote this verbatim, but like when you take a man's ability to like provide and feed himself, like you're killing a man. Mm -hmm. And we work so hard in our lives to be in a position to get to that level or be able to take care of our families and et cetera, et cetera. And to feel like that could be snatched away from you is a really heavy feeling. And so when people think like, man, how did you get to that point? It's like, yo, I really thought I was going to lose my job. Because at that point, I didn't have those conversations where I felt like they had my back. Number two, I had three different brands, major brands pull out on deals just off the strength of this thing happening. This is before even I reacted to it. And, you know, I was getting people that were emailing me, sending me messages, anonymous, whatever tearing me down, ripping me down without even knowing what the truth was. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And this person once told me, she said, I can make up anything and people will believe it. And that, that will always 
that will always stick with me. And, and it showed in that moment. And so I didn't know if my, my life would ever be the same because the internet is forever. The internet is permanent, you know? And then also people never letting you live that down. So those were the, the things that I was kind of thinking about in terms of my career and if I was going to be able to continue to move forward. For sure. And it's so tough in that we can, we can build these careers in some ways through social media, but there's no fact checker that can outrun the court of public opinion. When something is out there, it's out there. Yeah. And no matter how it is disproved or otherwise just shown to be false, there is always somebody's going to say, oh, that's the guy who did A, B, and C or whatever else. And so up until that point, you had done a masterful job of leveraging social media to your advantage. Yeah. And in this moment, you are reckoning with a loss of control that potentially you've never experienced before. You know, it's so funny. I was watching like, the Michael Jordan documentary called- The Last Dance. The Last Dance. And there was this moment where MJ is talking about how like people build you up, build you up, build you up. And at some point, they're gonna tear you down. Mm -hmm. At that point, at 30 years of age, man, my stuff was spotless. Like I was the golden boy. I built these, you know, successful companies. I had grown to be this like successful marketing executive. Like there was nothing. Like my reputation was pristine. And in a moment, everything flips and you see hundreds of thousands, millions of people are visiting my page, literally, not because they care about you or they wish well for you, but they just want to be nosy. They want to rip you down. They want to do all these things. And it was just, it was crazy to me because I've never been that person. Mm -hmm. And I knew this happened on social media, but you don't really know until it happens to you. And that's why I tell everybody, be careful when you're trying to cancel people or drag people on social media, because that could be you someday. You know, you never know when you're going to be on that Summer Jam screen. So it was, it was really, really hard. And the, we go back, we go way back. I, in a million years, we both never thought we would have the platforms that we have right now. I think I was like, man, I'm just, I was homeless a few years ago. I'm just trying to get a bag and take care of my family and be good. You know what I'm saying? Don't have to get the like off-brand Pop-Tarts. Like I just want to live a good life. And um, I never imagined my platform to grow in the way that it did. And to see that happen and then see how all those people and all these people can turn against you. And it doesn't matter all the people because there's so many people that support you or root for you in that. Mm -hmm. But man, the negativity is so overwhelming. You know what I mean? And you so, hear the, the negativity so much more loudly than the quiet support. You know, you're not getting hate mails like, oh, that was terrible. What happened to you? Yeah. And these people don't know you. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't even know you as a person. Like, they, they're just going to rip you apart because of what they see and what they read. And that what's the worst part about all of this? I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. Even if what they were saying was true, it wasn't even nothing wrong or to cancel somebody over or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like this is a natural thing people do, right? So what was so crazy about that was I'm getting all this flack, but it's like, wait, even if this was true, this is not something someone did that was wrong. Mm -hmm. 
So like, why do you feel, why do you all feel so passionately about this? Yeah, it becomes a projection of who they think you are as opposed to what actually happened. How did the pandemic shape your healing? Because while all this is happening, most of us are not going outside. You know, <laughs> you're not even seeing real people. Yeah. You're getting messages and you might see 10 people. Yeah. So it's crazy. You know, I went to the hospital, I get out and I'm like kind of like to myself, like, you know, I'm not, I'm already quarantining before everyone else is quarantining. And then like a month later, everything shuts down. And it was a very interesting time. I, I see it as a blessing because I didn't feel this need to step out. I didn't feel this need to be around people. I could literally heal and, you know, get better in private. And it was okay, you know, because everybody was in their own process of trying to heal through this. Everyone was facing things about themselves during this period. Like we had to, we had a lot of time to, to sit with ourselves. And I actually moved out to Montana for a while. I got this ranch, I had this house, man. I had deer that I would feed and- That's different. Like, yeah, it's different, bro. <laughs> it was beautiful. I was in Kalispell, Montana. And like, people were like, how do you, why did you go out there? And I just remember Googling like Flathead Lake. And I was like, that looks beautiful. That looks peaceful. I wanna go there. And so I did that and I just took that time for myself. And that was so important, man. Like I got rid of my phone for a while. Like I can't begin to describe how beautiful that was for me to just take some time with myself and then start also consistently going to therapy too and like actually taking it seriously. I love that you had that time for yourself. So was there a moment when you kind of thought to yourself that you were ready to come back out of the seclusion you were in, come back to the city and kind of dive back into life, not as the way it used to be, but in a new way? There was a few different steps. Number one was the first step of being okay to come back to work, doing the work enough for myself. That's embarrassing, bro. Like, mm -hmm. you know, most of the people that we work with, they don't know nothing about our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Except like that one white guy at the job that will literally tell you about everything about their personal life, but don't want to talk about politics. Shout out Steve. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But regardless of that, like that was like the first hurdle, you know what I mean? Getting back to the work, getting some sense of normalcy in my life and doing what I'm great at. And that's building companies, man. Like that, that was a part of me that was missing. So that was like the first step. And then I remember the first thing I did is I did a social media post, like activated really quickly for my birthday just to let people know I was okay. That was like four months after. And I'm like on the, the plains of Montana, but I just let people know like, yo, I'm okay. And then I shut it down again, and then I took some time. And it wasn't until that fall where maybe like September, October. So you're talking about, you know, eight months after that I really started to ingratiate myself slowly back into society, but I did it at my pace, you know? And that experience taught me so much about people, who's actually there for me, who supports me. I mean, there's so much fakeness and like, I call it like the bubble. Like, it's like the black tech community, the creatives, the music, entertainment, the social media influencers. It's just this large community of people that all talk shit about each other. And literally, they don't even like each other. I'm like, yo, all y'all do is talk about each other and drag each other down. Like those people, I was like, oh, I don't even have to, I don't even want to deal with y'all no more. 
Because first of all, where I'm at in my career and the elevated living that I'm doing in my life and where I'm trying to do, y'all not even on that type of time. You know, why am I wasting my time dealing with that and like being around that negative energy? So honestly, I felt lighter and freer. When we saw each other for the first time, talked to each other for the first time, you saw the difference in me. And it just felt really good, man. It felt good to take my time with it. Yeah, I definitely saw it and I felt it. And I love that you mentioned how much time you took intentionally, whereas you do have this high stakes job. You have a lot of things going on. And I think that so many of us, we we have different ways to take time, but we kind of feel pulled back in like, nah, I'm good. I got to jump back in, but you're not good. <laughs> you know, and so you you kind of rush the healing process and end up not healing, but just stuffing more things. And so I'm glad you were able to take take that time you needed and even be physically away. And for those of us who can't be away in that type of way, I think it's still really important just to to have that space and to give ourselves that space in whatever way we can. Just know that if you're good at what you do, there's always going to be space and room for you somewhere. You know, I came back to that company and we had record growth over the next couple of years because I know what I'm doing. I'm good at what I do. So sometimes we can get that self-doubt, but like if you really built a skill and know what you're doing, you'll be fine. Absolutely. So up until this point, you had lived a fairly private life in general, even before the news broke. Um, and so, of course, afterwards, you're very much so to yourself. How have you managed to rebuild trust in yourself, to to build new friendships, to deepen old friendships, and to let people in in some way, shape, or form? It's so funny. I was just talking to my therapist about this because it's an ongoing thing. Like it's a thing that I'm still struggling with. Like meeting people and being like, "Man, I met one of the worst people in the world." Like, are you one of those people? What are your intentions? What do you want from me? I was, you know, I was having a drink with a friend yesterday and she was like, I worry about you. I worry about you because I hear your name all the time. And it's people that just want close proximity to you. And they want something from you. Or they want this or they want that, or they want to get closer to you because of who you are. And so there's this, it's like this two-sided thing. Like on one side, I'm like, man, I feel some really beautiful relationships. Like, you know what I mean? I'm glad that me and you reconnected. I love you, brother. You know what I'm saying? I love you back, bro. And in the art world, I've, I've built some really beautiful friendships and new friendships here in New York. It's been it's been beautiful. But on the other side, it's like, man, I'm low-key jaded. <laughs> I'm low-key jaded because I'm like, I don't know who I can trust. I don't know what people's intentions are. I don't know what people are saying in rooms when I'm not around. I remember I had this one friend um, who I loved. I knew in college and, you know, she was like a little sister to me. And one of the things I realized was like, every time I was around her, she was always talking shit about people, like always gossiping, tearing them down. And I was like, I had to take a step back and be like, oh, you're doing that to me when I'm not around. Just because we're friends doesn't mean that you're not doing that too. So it's like this double-sided. It's like I'm so much in a healthier space in one way, with like building some very organic relationships, dating differently, building friendships differently, and all of that, protecting my space, realizing the real flex in life is not access, but inaccessibility. Like I used to think, you know, 
getting like all the Instagram models and celebrities and women and getting invited to all these like private events and and being in the mix and knowing this person, that person. I thought that was the flex. The real flex in life is people not having access to you. The real flex in life is like you be at you show up to an event and they're like, oh snap, Everest here? That's crazy. You want that. You don't want people to feel like they have so much access to you. So it's it's been this like double double edged sword of like building more healthy organic relationships. But man, realizing I still got a lot of self work to do, so I don't be trusting people. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I get it. And the self work definitely never ends. It's like a constantly ongoing process for sure. You were a CMO then. You were a black CMO. You were well under forty. And in many ways, you were already defeating the odds. And by the time you left in late 2022, Forbes says you were one of the most influential CMOs in the world, hands down. To top it off, you left Artsy as CMO to become the CEO at Kickstarter. There's an article in Harvard Business Review that says that CMOs don't last, right? And it's true, you know, most most CMOs aren't seeing more than three to five years. It's the highest turnover rate in the entire C-suite. And so how did you navigate this transition, not just towards being an impactful CMO, but then taking that and pivoting over to being a CEO? I had someone ask me recently, like, did you always want to be a CMO? Did you always want to be a CEO? And I was like, no, like what little black boy is like, I want to be a CEO. Like, you know, it's rare, you know? and. I said, I'm a hustler. Like, I'm a hustler, so I'm always going to figure things out. And so when I was in that CMO seat, whatever it is, whether it's CMO or CEO, I'm going to do whatever I can to take care of my people and make sure I need to get where I need to go. And so in that CMO seat, I was a hustler, man. I was like, look, I'm not just going to impact marketing. I'm going to impact product. I'm going to impact operations. I'm going to impact all these different facets of the business. I'm going to be the face of the brand. I'm going to take this art thing to a new level and really try to democratize the art world. And so I really took it and made it my own. And by doing that, I showed and exhibited the qualities of a CEO, being the face of a brand, working cross-functionally, you know, overseeing and doing things across the company, not just marketing. And that, those are the things that attracted my new company to see me as, as a CEO, right? And so it was really beautiful to have that opportunity and also to be empowered by the CEO at Artsy to be that person because a lot of people don't realize this is not just on you, man. You gotta have the right people around you that's gonna help put you in a position to be successful. I love that. And I think it's one thing to be able to listen to you talk about that and to say, man, that's great for Everett. You know, you're kind of on this pedestal where you saw it in yourself to want more and to be able to find a way to create more for yourself. What do you say to somebody who wants more but does not believe they deserve more or they don't believe they have the ability to achieve more in their career? What I would say to the people that don't see themselves in these spaces is to understand that you really only have one life to live. And the two biggest things that's always going to work against you is disbelief in yourself and mismanaging your time. The biggest hurdle is one, believing in yourself. If you can get over that hurdle, then the, the second thing is managing your time the right way. I see so many people that we came up with that had a lot of promise and potential, 
And, you know, Drake has that line talking about, like, while my friends out partying, I'm just making the music that they party to, you know? Like, that's how we've been in. We've been in the lab, and you make certain sacrifices to get there, but I'm so conscious of my time, and other people have to be conscious of their time and using it wisely, like, hey, maybe I need to stay in tonight. Maybe I need to do this. Maybe I can be more focused. I literally see people, I see people literally that can be on a couch on Instagram for hours, hours, just wasting away. So that would be my advice is that belief in yourself and then and really, really managing your time the right way. Beautiful. And so my last question to you is about Everett, the kid grew up in Southside. If that little boy could see you today with these boots <laughs> and this cut and this job and this legacy that you're building, um, what could he possibly think? I think part of him would look at me and be like, why aren't we further? You know, because as a kid, as a kid, you think you're going to be everything. I'm going to be a billionaire. I'm going to be in the NBA. I'm going to be 6'5". Nah, dog. <laughs> Not that, bro. So I think part of him would just, I think it would be humbling for him to see that like, even when we think about our success, even sometimes the younger versions of ourselves had such grandiose ideas of what we would be. I think I think he would be like, mm, that's okay. <laughs> so that, but that motivates me. That motivates me like, man, I still got so much more further to go. But I hope that I could instill into that, to that little kid of mine uh, or little kid version of mine that like, man, I'm way happier in this space than I would be being a billionaire or an NBA player. I would take 6'5", though. <laughs> at least 6'3". Like three. Three. I would take that. I would I take that. Why you think I got these boots on? You know what <laughs> I mean? But I, I, I think I think he would see somebody in a, in a very peaceful, happy place. And when I was a kid, man, I had chaos around me. So I think, yeah, he would be surprised because he probably would think, oh, 33, you old. Why you ain't doing more? But at the same time, I think he would see how at peace I am. And with the chaos that I had around me as a kid, I think that would make him really happy. That's beautiful. E, thank you, bro. My brother. For your honesty, yeah. perspective, your wisdom. Appreciate you, bro. Of course, bro. Definitely. Today's affirmation is meant to help you remember who you are. Not who people say you are, not who you might think you are at your lowest moments, but who you actually are. And feel free to write this down somewhere. It goes as such. I know myself and I am committed to learning myself more deeply. I hold myself accountable. My knowledge of self protects me from the projections of others. I hope that speaks to you. I hope this episode spoke to you. Thank you again to my guest, Everett Taylor. And thank you for listening and for giving this conversation some time. Tap in with me on Instagram or Twitter at Mikel C. Clark, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-C-C-L-A-R-K. And look out for more episodes of After You Fail very soon. Peace.